Broadcasting live from an airstream somewhere in Tornado Alley, bringing you the people, places, and stories from the Panhandle to the Red River. This is your Only in Oklahoma show. And welcome to the show. Today we're headed to Guthrie to the Stone Lion Inn, and we've got a great interview coming up with Becky Luker. I'm Brett. And I am Harley. You know, there's a lot of... We're talking about a state that... It, it was 1890 when it became a state. Tons of history. With with history comes death. With death comes ghosts. And with ghosts comes an, a, an opportunity to stay in a haunted bed and breakfast. It's, of course, it's, it, the Stone, Stone Lion Inn. I mean... Yes, in Guthrie, Oklahoma. Now, this is a throwback. We're going to have a few of these this yeah. month. We... We're trying to pump out as much spooky material yeah. as we can muster, uh, but we've got an interview with Becky Luker at the Stone Lion Inn. It was a good interview. Yeah, it was a great interview. Super, super sweet lady. Absolutely. And it's super spooky. I think if you're looking to, if you're looking for a real authentic, this is an icon. When you think of haunted Oklahoma, I think it's somewhere in probably, and we can look it up. I would say the Stone Lion Inn is in the top ten places in Oklahoma that are haunted, that are that are known not just regionally but nationally. They've had ghosts. They had the the Taps crew come through. They, I agree, and I I'm a fan of the Stone Lion Inn. I'm okay. not trying to take anything sure. away, but can we just be serious? If Guthrie decided to change their name to Haunted Oklahoma, it would not surprise me. It They're, wouldn't. It wouldn't. And I think most people wouldn't be be mad about it. There wouldn't be a think, lot of. Yeah. I don't think most people would bat an eye. Yeah, you wouldn't see a line of people out the door at the city council meeting looking to rip them to shreds. Probably. There's no. a lot of haunted stuff. They have. They've got a great ghost tour up there. There are all kinds of stuff that kind of ups the creep factor. It for sure. And they also have some traditional, just um, traditional haunted houses. Traditional haunted houses. Everything is haunted at night, though, in Guthrie, I think. Downtown is kind of like a, it's the Disneyland for, like, Beetlejuice. I get it. There's a lot of history there. Dude, it was the first capital of Oklahoma, of course. I know, but that's not my point. My point is, there's a lot of history it doesn't scare me though. I'm not scared by Guthrie after dark. You, but again, we've talked about ghost tours and we've talked about you know uh, tomb tombstone tales and things like that. But does it up the the chill factor a little bit? It's got to lower the thermostat some. If if somebody's telling you the the, oh, the blood sure. guts, I think I think for sure you it it adds the right sizzle, the right backdrop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But with that being said, I still don't find Guthrie itself scary, even at Halloween. I'm sorry. It's just too nice. I, I really I think even feel like the ghosts are nice. I really feel like you're, you're trying to get a key to the city, man. I already have one. They, they, <laughs> they said yours was in the mail. Right. Well, I say we just jump right in. Well, it's been featured on Ghost Hunters, Ghost Adventures, and really needs no introduction. It's the Stone Lion Inn in Guthrie, Oklahoma. And joining us today is the owner and proprietor, Becky Luker. Welcome, Becky. Well, I'm so glad to be here. Finally, we get this to you. This is exciting. Yes, I, and I may be a little nervous. I feel, I'm a little starstruck. So let's just jump right in. <laughs> let's just get rolling. Okay. So, <laughs> so how do you come about this 1907 Victorian former funeral home? What? How did that all start? Well, 
I was, I was a school teacher in New Mexico. I used to teach high school English and history, and I got out of that, and I got into real estate and real estate development, and I owned a second largest real estate company at one time in Santa Fe, and I owned a small construction company. We did historic restorations, and I owned an art gallery, and then I got a divorce. Oh, wow. And got and it all. I was, <laughs> yeah, I got, I got everything. And I was really sad. And I decided I wanted to leave town. I had these two little boys. And a girlfriend of mine called me from Arkansas, and she had a bed and breakfast there. And I had owned a bed and breakfast in Santa Fe. It was one of those situations where I had bought a house to flip it. Mm-hmm. And I spent about $100,000 more than I should have. You know, I had a I had a partner who thought if there were checks in the checkbook, it meant there was money in the bank. Right. So we overdid it, and we could not get rid of it. And it was just tearing my, oh, it was awful. And so we turned it into a bed and breakfast. We'd heard about bed and breakfast, and we turned it into one. Had one of the other brokers in my office running it, and it sold immediately. Wow. It was great. I thought, wow, that's terrific. So I got a little bit of experience there. And then after the divorce, I wanted to leave Santa Fe. And my girlfriend calls me from Arkansas. And she tells me about this great house that's for sale in Mountain View. Have you ever been to Mountain View? I have not been to Mountain View, no. It's charming. It's really charming. It's up in the Ozarks. And it's small. It's, It's not the same place as Mountain Home. A lot of people get them confused. And it's kind of like a small Branson. It's really cute. It sounds so a little like little Eureka bit... Springs. Yes. Yeah, 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 but not not as developed. Ah. Not as developed. And so I looked at the house. I thought it had a lot of potential, and I was there for a few days. And and uh, about the third day, uh, I said, well, you know, I'm kind of interested in going ahead and signing the contract. But before I do, let me go check out the school system. I'm a former teacher. And they said, sure. So they told me how to get there, and I, this little assistant principal met me at the door, and he shows me all around. And it was a nice property. They had done really well with their money that they had from tourism to help them get along, and everything seemed just perfect. And uh, at the end of the tour, this is what he says to me. You are just the right kind of person to buy into to Mountain View, and we're so glad you're going to do that bed and breakfast because we're all about tourism, you know, ever since the shirt factory burned down and they sent all the equipment to Bangladesh. It's all we got going for us. And don't worry about your children. They will be safe here. It's a really safe community. We have no black people. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. This is 1986. That's a hell of a sell. Golly. Okay. Well, I think they did think it was a sale. I guess so. I think they really... I think they were real serious. And I said, I don't think I understand you. And he starts to explain a little further. And I said, hold that thought just one minute. Children, go back to the car. Mommy has something to say to this man. Yes, take the car keys and I'll be right there. Okay, bye. And as soon as they got out of shot, I kind of was sort of mean. I said ugly things. <laughs> I I did mention his mother. Oh, wow. And uh, other relatives. Uh, limited gene pool. I believe that I threw in some sexual acts and uh, animals. But, you know, I'm <laughs> oh, an English no. teacher. <laughs> yeah. I'm an English teacher. I put those together in well-constructed compound complex sentences. 
and uh-huh. I had agreement between subject and verb. He knew exactly where I wanted him to go. Well, and they haven't been the same so, since, I'm sure. <laughs> I think they did fine. I went back to the car, tore up the contract, and headed out back to Santa Fe. Well, on my way, I saw Guthrie on the map, and I knew a lot about Guthrie. Uh, Guthrie, in the late 70s and 80s, was doing a restoration of their town, and they were considered one of the top ten small towns in America to do historic restorations. It was a bang-up job. They'd really done a, a great job. So I stopped in here. I thought, well, we have to sleep somewhere tonight, so we'll sleep in Guthrie. Got up the next morning and went downtown to have something to eat, and I saw a picture of what is now the Stone Lion Inn on a window, a real estate window. And I inquired. They said, we can show you that this morning. And I said, great, let's look. And by the way, I saw black people. I saw black people and I saw Hispanic people and there was a Chinese restaurant with real Chinese in it (laughs) it was like this is terrific this is what I love and you know I came from Santa Fe which was multicultural so yeah it was the right deal and everything fell into place Uh, I got the financing I needed and they were happy to have me because they were trying to get things going. Although I think they were really excited about getting the stone line in because at first they thought I was opening up a house of ill repute. Oh, well, they have a history and of that, don't they? They do. Yeah. Right, right. Because they were the state, they were the territorial capital and they were the state capital. And we know that prostitution always follows, uh, you know, the, Politics. The common denominator. <laughs> well, it's the common denominator. There are two two things that this follows. Mm-hmm. What follows? Uh, where, wherever you have a military base or you have a seat of government, what's the common denominator? You large tell me. Large numbers of men. Yes. Large numbers of men away oh. from home for <laughs> long periods of time. Right. It's a hotbed for prostitution, and, and apparently back in the day, Guthrie was too. The last house of ill repute in Guthrie went out of business in 1972. That's really not it's that not long ago. Same, yeah. yeah. Not the same girls, though. Right. Oh, I hope, gosh, I hope not. <laughs> they, they had a turnover. They didn't know what a bed and breakfast was in Guthrie in 1986. Now, understand, there were bed and breakfasts in New Mexico, Colorado, Arkansas had lots, Kansas had lots, Texas, but there were none. This is the first one. The Stone Line Inn is the first one in Oklahoma, and nobody knew what that I mean, well, I'm sure some people knew, but a lot of people did not know what a bed and breakfast was. And so when I told them I was opening up a bed and breakfast, they thought it was, put quotes around breakfast, bed and breakfast, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> I don't think that was right. an extra something. Right. <laughs> so I went. I got a contract. I went back to Santa Fe. I talked to the guys who were on my construction crew, and I asked them if they would come and help me put more bathrooms. There were only two bathrooms in the house, and I needed eight. That Man, that's so uh, common with, with houses, even that big back then, is maybe yeah, one or two, yeah. if not. One or yeah. two. Yeah. yeah. It's right. crazy. And so we had to put in eight. We had to have one for each room. And so the guys came back with me, and and we settled up by, I gave them all the contracts we had in Santa Fe and the name of our company and everything, and I just turned everything over to them. And they stayed here with me for seven weeks and put eight bathrooms in. And my mother came, too. My mother came as the chaperone. 
My mother was really tall and handsome and kind of mean, kind of, you know, she was, she was pretty strict. And she says, well, Becky, you can live in Santa Fe with seven men. No one will think anything of it. It's not going to play in Guthrie. I will go as your chaperone. <laughs> so my mother came out as my chaperone. Isn't that the coolest thing? That's too, that's too it funny. It really was. It was really funny. And, um, finally the mayor, and we got, we heard around town that there was this rumor that I was opening up this whorehouse. And, um, you know, some of the people in town went, I'd been to visit their shops before I'd gone back. I'd heard that I was doing a bed and breakfast and all my guys, we were, go into Ace Hardware to buy some lumber the first day we get to work on the house. The manager comes out and says, you guys are getting quite a big load there. You need to run a tab. And I said, well, maybe so. And he said, well, what's the name of it? And I said, well, we haven't named it yet, but we're doing that bed and breakfast over on on Warner Street. And they said, oh, you boys are from the bed and breakfast. And they put the breakfast in quotations up in the air. You know how people do it. Oh, yeah. Your hand signals. And my manager didn't know what in the world they were talking about. So that my foreman of my crew. And so he said with quotations, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was hysterical. And then I found out later that it used to be a funeral home. Well, that's it's not a whorehouse, but it was a house of horrors, if you think of funeral home as a Yeah, yeah, it never was. It never was a house of prostitution, (laughs) but it was a funeral home. Back in the 20s, the Houghtons, the original owners, fell on hard times. The bow weevil struck and cotton went under, and their whole fortune was tied into the cotton market and um, they had the biggest cotton gin in Oklahoma. They were founder of Cotton Oil Company. They had several grocery stores and mercantile stores and the first car dealership. So this Mr. Houghton was quite an entrepreneur. In the 20s, when the Bow Weevil struck, they decided they would move to Enid, where oil had been discovered. And that's where, I believe, isn't it the Permian Basin? Do you guys know that? Yeah, it's the, it's, uh, I think it's... Permian Basin. Yes, yeah, that's pretty hot. It's still a hotbed for oil. It's, yeah, and that, that was, had just been discovered. And so they thought Enid would be bigger than Oklahoma City. It was growing so fast. So the Houghton family moved there to watch their mercantile store, but they didn't want to sell this beautiful old house, and it is beautiful. I wish you were here with me. They didn't want to sell this beautiful old house, so they leased it to Smith's Funeral Home, and it became the mortuary in town. I'm so jealous. And so it, it, you know, if you come, if you come sometime, and you're certainly invited, and I'll treat you to it. You can spend the night in a home that used to be a mortuary. And the, by the way, the embalming was done back in the kitchen where where everything housekeeper yeah. yeah prepares yeah. your food. Based based and the turkey I based your grandpa for years. I mean, I mean for months. I didn't find it out for months. Oh that it my was gosh, a, a mortuary. But how did you? I mean, you gotta. There's there's just something I can't even. I'm just so excited about this. I cannot imagine what that would be like to live in an old funeral home. Well, I didn't know. there's a big white table there's this huge gorgeous white porcelain table and it was in the it was in the kitchen and mrs walker now she they were the second owners 
And that's who I bought it from, were the Walkers. They have since died. And I'm the third owner in a house that's over 100 and about 110 years old. So on the day of closing, I'm going through the house with Mrs. Walker, and all of the furniture had been auctioned off. Everything was gone. But we were walking through doing a checklist, and we came into the kitchen, and there was that big white table still there. Mrs. Walker had told me before that she had used to, that that was her baker's table or, or, you know, her buffet. And her children would come home on the weekends, and she would cook for dinner after church. And then you throw a tablecloth over it, and everybody comes back for supper. That's five to seven come and go. And um, I told her, oh, it's so beautiful. Aren't you going to take this with you, Mrs. Walker? And she says, no, sugar, we're downsized, and we don't have room for that table. But you had admired it when you was here. We thought we'd leave it for you. Would you like to have that table? I said, I would love to have that table. It's so unusual. Yes, it is unusual. Is it a baker's table? Well, it certainly could be, Sugar. You just use it any way you want. It's yours now. She knew damn well it was the embalming table. from. Um. <laughs> Isn't that a hoot? That is great. <laughs> yeah, I didn't find out for three months. So, Becky, uh, I was, Becky when, did you, when did you start to suspect that this house was haunted? You know, I brought a lot of my construction guys back with me when I came back to close on the house so that they could help me put these bathrooms in. So there were like six carpenters and one engineer living with me and my mother. And we would hear stuff all night long, all kinds of movement. But when you're living with that many people, you figure somebody's up going to the bathroom, somebody's getting something to eat, or something. somebody's going out on the front porch and having a cigarette, which, by the way, was not helpful for my reputation. Mm. Naked, half-naked men sitting on the front porch smoking cigarettes late at night. It sort of looked like I was already open with the house of ill repute. Right. And, um, but we were hearing things, and they were hearing things, and um, my children would get awakened in the night. But we just figured it was because of the noise of the men and, and everybody walking around and stuff. But after we finished, we finished in seven weeks' time. And opened it as the first bed and breakfast. And the guys all went back to Santa Fe. My mother went back to Santa Fe. And I was there alone in the house with these two little boys. And I began hearing all the things I was hearing before. But now it didn't make sense. It, there was no, you know, there weren't guys going downstairs to the kitchen to get something to eat. But we would hear the footsteps. We would hear footsteps coming up to the third floor. The door would open. The door would close. Nobody would be there. My children would get awakened in the night by noises they'd hear and talking that they would hear. We would hear a woman's laughter about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Just It was really delightful. You know, it was lovely. I hired a housekeeper, and she became my best friend. And she and I were experiencing in one of the rooms, I had some old dolls, and they were being placed out on the bed, and they'd, we'd go up there, and they there would be five or six of them laying on a bed with a washcloth over their head. Oh, my. It was really freaky. Oh, yeah, that was happening, and that, that was really kind of freaked us out. I was going to say, you never really got the indication that these were malevolent, nothing malevolent, just, no. just kind of... No, okay. more playful. Right. Or more like a child playing. As a matter of fact, I think I understand the washcloth over the face. Now, I'm much, much older than you boys, so I'll tell you how things were back in the day, okay? Okay, tell me. When I was a kid, 
after lunch, when you came in from school, in from lunch, you had to bring every week, you had to bring a fresh towel and you would, a uh, bath towel and you would lay it on the floor and you had to have a washcloth and you would kind of lay down on the towel and you would put the washcloth over your face so that you wouldn't look at other people while they were sleeping and they wouldn't look at you because otherwise you'd be making faces and making noise and stuff or giggling. So you put the washcloth over it and that helped you go to sleep. I thought that's, you know, it took me a while to figure out what was going on, that why were these, why were their faces being covered up with washcloths? At first I thought it was kind of sinister. Then I realized they've just come in from lunch. Somebody's playing with them and they've just come in from lunch and they have to go to sleep. Hmm. So that made sense to me. And nothing that has ever happened has been frightening. It's all just been kind of playful. And on a couple of occasions, the house has really protected me and, and the children. How so? By alerting you to things? or Yes. Okay. We were broken into one night and the house woke me up and told me to get out. It didn't say get out. It was in my head. <laughs> but it was like something kept bothering me and getting trying to wake me up and shake me. Mm-hmm. And I finally got up and it just I just heard this message in my head, get out of the house, get out of the house. And I grabbed the children. I went down the back stairs and I got out. And sure enough, somebody had come in through, some boys had come in through the front door. I say boys. They were like 18, 19, 20 you know, and I ran to the neighbors and he ran over and, and they ran off down the street. After that, we had been broken into a couple more times. After I would, you know, I started doing these murder mysteries about a year after we, about six months after I bought the house. Uh, people would leave, like, a, it would, would bring a liquor bottle to their room and they would just leave them. We'd put them all downstairs in the kitchen after the next morning and people could pick them up and take them home with them. We don't provide any alcohol, right. but people... You know, because they're in, they're spending the night, they can bring their own in their room. But if they would leave them out on the table, we'd just put them up in the kitchen. On Sundays, whatever was left there, we didn't pay much attention to it and just left it there. And, and these same, I think it was these same boys kept breaking in and stealing the liquor. Then they started, then they broke in a couple of times. And this would be when I would be, leave on Sunday afternoon with the children and go someplace. Then they would break in and they started stealing some food. Well, I couldn't begrudge people food because that's, you know, I think everybody deserves food. So I didn't think much of that. And then they were stealing the food and cooking it <laughs> right there. <laughs> Full service. Isn't that yes. Yeah. Yeah, they were even cooking it there. And then it stopped and I figured they've gotten arrested. They, they must be doing this someplace else too. Sure enough. The police contacted me and and told me what had happened. They had their parents were truck drivers, and one day they'd gotten in their truck and drove off and never came back. Wow! Left these two little two two boys. One of them was fourteen, the other was seventeen, and two other guys moved in with them in the house. And you know they were doing what they could to just stay alive. I did not press any charges. So let me ask you this, Becky. You, you do you said you started doing the. The murder mysteries shortly after you opened. Okay, so you opened the the murder mysteries after <laughs> shortly after it opened. Is that when you started getting the reports of uh, of Irene upstairs, or how much farther no, down? No. Okay. No, that was that that had been going on from right from the very beginning. Okay. From us moving into the house, that began happening right then. I think it was because I had these two little boys, and it was kind of interesting for her. My youngest 
uh, Ral Mazza. Mm -hmm. He was seven when I bought the house. She was seven when she died in the house. And she was one of 12 children, and she was the only one not to make it through childhood. That was a tough time. Yeah. She contracted whooping cough. She was born in the house that they had first originally built in the 1900s. In 1900. And then in 1907, they ran out of room because they had six kids. The first wife died. She had four. And then he remarried. And the second wife had two while they were living next door. And then he amassed this fortune and built this house and had six more children. Wow. So he had 12 children. And this little girl, Irene, apparently contracted whooping cough. And what is believed to have happened is the maid over-medicated her and she died. It was Mm. an accidental poisoning. You know, in those days, whatever the kid was sick with, they'd just put that down on the the death certificate, Mm -hmm. you know. She had it. So nowadays, I'm sure it would be totally different. They would probably do an autopsy and say, you know, you killed the kid. (laughs) <laughs> that's a yeah, horrible thing absolutely. to think of. But they they would say it was, you know, an overdose of prescription drugs or something. And then there would be an investigation. And then, you know, it would be kind of heartless. But more really. importantly, 12 kids with two bathrooms. And I think the Brady Bunch had at least four bathrooms. Well, <laughs> yeah, they only had two bathrooms. They had one in the wedding suite, the, the, the you know, who that's where the parents mm-hmm. were. the big. We call it the wedding suite. And then there was another one at the end of the hall. It was a very large bathroom. So two or two kids could go in there and brush their teeth or one could be showering or whatever. I mean, the girls would, it was probably a deal where the girls have the shower or they have the bathroom for this long a time and then the boys have it or something. So Becky, uh, do um, we just assume that Irene probably does most of the, the, I don't know, mucking about in terms of Or do we have names for any of the, do we have suspected names for any of the others, perhaps? Well, my housekeeper sees Mr. Houghton down in the basement. Oh. And she has seen Mr. Houghton. Mrs. Houghton died there, and Mr. Houghton died in the 30s sometime in the house. And the second Mrs. Houghton died in the house also. And my housekeeper sees this man, and he's got this tall hat on, and she sees him at the back of the basement when she goes down to do the laundry, and she has told me this for years. And finally we took the laundry out because she finally got scared and said she wasn't doing laundry anymore. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I moved it to another property I own, and that's where we do the laundry. But um, so there, there's that. People have seen other people there, and I think that's because it was a mortuary. I, I would have to guess. people wandering around. Yeah. yeah. That's, and but we don't know who they are, and we don't disturb them or try to wrestle them out or anything. I've had several psychics show up mm-hmm. or call mm-hmm. me. I even had one from uh, Kansas City who apparently worked with the Kansas City Police Department and found missing children, and uh, she wanted to come and see if she could find out anything. And I said it's fine, but I don't want any exorcism type stuff. Right. I don't want to. I don't want to make this. What you know, whatever is going on here, we live peaceably with it. Mm-hmm. And if anything, I feel like it's protected us, and I don't want to make anybody mad. So oh, she so. did come. She, I, I said, well, do you feel the little girl? And she said, oh yes, and so much more. So yeah. with that being said, obviously you're going to attract paranormal groups from all over. But you've been on some of the some of the bigger television shows. How do how does one get 
does do people email and, and, and request them to go to you? go to you or do you reach out to them or do they reach out to you? How does that work? I have never reached out to anyone. I have never reached out to anyone. But what happened when this first started happening and these paranormal groups in the early kind of nineties, we once in a while we'd get a group saying, you know, we'd like to investigate old homes and old properties and we'd like to come by. And my standard answer was, Oh no, no ghosts in this house. Nothing here. Nothing to see here. Right. And I wouldn't let anybody in. Because I did not want that reputation. You know, I did not want anybody to think that we were crazy or anything. And finally, it was in the late, it was probably 1999, this group out of Oklahoma City called OKPRI. Yeah, I know those guys. Yeah, really nice. And at that time, I think they had three police officers with them. And they just came up to meet me. They kind of, um, they, <laughs> they, they kind of just showed up without calling first, so I didn't have any way to get out from away from them. You know, mm-hmm. if I knew they were coming, I would have said, don't come, but they did, and they were really nice. I thought, you know, with three police officers, they're not, they've seen a lot. They've done a lot. They're not going to go screaming through the house and terrified and, you know, make a mess or anything like that. These are people who are thoughtful and, and pretty grounded, and I really liked them. I liked all of these people, and so I said, yes, you can do a hunt. So they spent an evening there and did a hunt, and they recorded a lot of stuff, and they shared it with me, and, and then they, I would they, I would let them come on a regular basis, um, when we not on the weekends, you mm-hmm. know, like Sunday through Thursday, and uh, they were very mindful of the property. They never broke anything. They were very kind, and I thought that's, the, you know, that's, they were quiet, kind people, and that's the kind of people you want in your house, especially a house that's got as many valuables and old. Oh, know, absolutely. Well, I think they're valuable, but they're really probably just old junk, but there's a lot of antiques in there. Well, a lot of those and, teams uh, run a lot of, you know, you've got some of the bigger ones, especially like the Ghost Hunter guys and the Ghost Adventure guys that are running a lot of cables. you got guys with cam- yeah. cameras stumbling yeah. around in the dark. I mean, But you would be surprised at how careful they are. Mm-hmm. When ghost hunters came, there's like 17 guys in that crew. And at that time, this was in the early 2000s. At that time, I think they were all about, I'm thinking they were all in their early 20s to mid 30s, mm-hmm. if that old. And they were so much fun. And they were all, they were really, really careful of each other. They, they watched uh, what they said. They didn't hurt each other's feelings. They were nice people, really nice people and funny. <laughs> Get this. They had never seen, they had just recently discovered Laugh-In. Do you really? Oh, yeah. Show? Rowan Martin's Laugh-In, yeah. Rowan and Martin. Well, they these guys are too young to know who Laugh-In was. That was a 70s thing. Mm-hmm. But when they discovered Laugh-In, they thought that was a hoot. So between shoots, they would try to redo some of the laugh-in skits. You remember the one on the on the uh, tricycle where a grown-up guy is on a tricycle and he's got this hat over his head, when a, and he's got, dressed up real warm like it's freezing outside, and he gets on the tricycle and he goes down the sidewalk and just falls over? I think it's so, just, yeah. It's <laughs> well, let me tell you, it's, it's a really, it's really stupid. <laughs> it's really stupid. But when you see a grown man get on a tricycle and just fall straight over, it's pretty funny. Mm-hmm. But every one of them, they did it. For every one of them, they filmed them. That's funny. <laughs> it's 
in front of my house going down the street, going down the sidewalk, falling over. Each one of those guys took a turn and got filmed. So they did. They were fun. They were really a lot of fun. But I, I will I've heard tell a lot you of good things about those guys. Play. Yeah, they they took really close. I mean, they were they were all about finding the truth of something. They were really very truthful. They were they were sticklers for that. They wanted to find the truth. Is it haunted? Is it there's something else going on here? I mean, they were really good, and they'd gotten punked one time. Mm-hmm. So they do a thorough background investigation of your house before they come. And they do a thorough background investigation of you, mm. which is a little scary. <laughs> uh, you know, when they find out things about you that you didn't even know. So they are really dedicated to the to the process. So let me ask and you this. To doing it right. Let me ask you this, Becky. You know, we were talking a little bit ago about psychics wanting to come in. And, you know, you never want anybody to exercise anything because, again, you're living peacefully um, right. with, with with the other side, basically. In terms of, I mean, you've been on, you've been on just a, a litany of articles, TV shows, write-ups, specials. Yeah, Obviously, that that that's got to do, you know, that's got to do something for for foot traffic. I mean, have you just seen just this huge surge since appearing on these TV shows? And we have. It's not all good, right? Um, but we have had a lot of people. Uh, wanting to do ghost hunts and stuff. And that's fine. But it's also a commercial property. This is how I make mm-hmm. my living. And so it's not like I can let people just come in and just go ramp through the house and tear up everything or make, you know, sleep in the beds and stuff like that. There have to be some parameters. And usually we have to charge them at least for what it's going to cost us in utilities and cleanup and that kind of thing. Some of them are very uh, kind of... Uh, put off by that they think it should be free right and but this is a it is a business and i have to i have to run it as a business in order to keep the cash flow going you know and when they make a mess somebody's got to clean it up right it's almost like they want they usually don't yeah and they want it to be able to tell you something you already know like by now you kind of have a an idea of what you're dealing with and i think they feel like sometimes they're doing you a favor like not really. Oh yeah. yeah, I had one of them. <laughs> yeah, I had one guy say, "And we won't charge you." <laughs> <laughs> You're right. He told me, and I, and he said, "Yes, we we want to do a ghost hunt in your house, and we won't charge you." And I said, "Oh, really? <laughs> nice." And nobody else has either. <laughs> All right, Becky. So uh, we know that you know the the paranormal is a huge part of what the stone. I think that's probably that's got to be a. a is it a 50-50 draw? People are either coming for the the chance at the paranormal, or is it more murder mystery, or is the, it kind of a combination of both? Mystery. Okay, it's it's really the murder mystery. I would say maybe twenty five percent of the traffic we get is for uh, people hoping for some kind of an experience in the house. But uh, if you want how we regularly fill up and we're full every Friday and Saturday night, it's the murder mysteries. And that's because everybody gets to play a part. Mm-hmm. And how many times after you're a grown-up do you get to play? Well, I've been married twice. You watch. I've been married twice, <laughs> Becky. I played. I played husband two times. You, you, Didn't you do played well. Played husband twice. I did play husband <laughs> twice. 
So I would well, I would love to be a murderer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we get that a lot. But I want to pick out who I murder. You know that kind of thing. So tell somebody but, um, for somebody that's never done a murder mystery before. Can you kind of give me a little bit of a brief overview on on sure. how do you choose who chooses what and what how it all works? Okay. Well, first of all, you have to make a reservation. Okay. And we take uh, between twenty and forty people. We take 20 people who are spending the night and 20 people who are not spending the night. Mm. I own other properties down here in town, and so we have enough. We have about 20 rooms. <clears throat> so we we take, or we can put them at other bed and breakfast, too. So we take these 20 people who are spending the night and 20 people who are not, and we get a lot of information from them when they make their reservation. They have to make their reservation by calling us because we want their age. Mm. Then we listen to them. You know, if they say something like, Oh, my husband's only doing this because I've wanted it to do it for so long and he just hates this kind of thing and so give him a real small part. We write all that in the notes. Oh wow. So that when we get ready to assign characters, we have a way of knowing which way we're going. Or they'll be really fun. They'll say, Oh, I did a little theater when I was in high school or I did this in college and you know, we give them bigger parts because they know something about the process mm-hmm. and it's, we do listen. We do listen to them. And that's real important is to be a good listener, figure out who's going to fit in what part. Then we have a list of characters. We have 20 men and 20 women. As we're picking them out, we go down the list of guests we have, and we look for the age-appropriate, first of all, to make sure that we're getting age-appropriate things, you know, so that somebody who's playing a father isn't younger than his daughter or <laughs> You know, right. <laughs> that's kind of awkward. So uh, we have a lot of information. We feel, and it, you know, it's just like, it's kind of like magic. It works out every single time it seems to work out. And we don't tell the person who's going to get murdered until they get here because they'll call you for a, a week and say, oh, it says I'm going to get murdered and um, I don't. I've never died before, and I don't think I can do it. <laughs> well, nobody else has either, right. you know, Betty, so it's you. We're all so new no, we this. don't do that. Yeah. Yeah, but we do. And the language that you use empowers people. So when the person arrives who's going to die, you call them back in the kitchen and you just say this. By the way, you're going to die, and this is how you're going to do it. When I make this signal, you die. Do it kind of like this. You know, you just give it to it, and you don't give them a choice. You just say, by the way, you're going to die. This is how you do it. When I do this, you do this. You know, they do it every time. God, We've never like had so anybody fun. not die because then we'd have to kill them. <laughs> no near death? No, <laughs> no near death incidents on the murder mystery? No, no near death. We get them dead. <laughs> so um, they do a great job. It's amazing. <laughs> the other night, some guy accidentally, I think he, he was so nervous. And when she kind of <laughs> gave him, I have a younger woman who does this now because I'm getting too old and cranky. And so she gave him the signal to die, and he died in a salad bowl. <laughs> Oh, God. He put his forehead down in his salad bowl. That has never happened before. i got to tell you, we really had a good laugh over that at breakfast. Next. And then we never tell the person who's the killer that they're the killer and, until they get there because they'll blab. Yeah. They'll tell people. You know. So we have to be real careful what we say. It just always works out. And I've had enough, you know, I've been doing this enough years. We know mm-hmm. We know how to move people from one scene to the next seamlessly. They don't even realize what's happening to them. They just they just do it, and they're having so much fun, they don't care. Wow. 
It's and it's funny. That's the other thing. It is not frightening. I make characters that are crazy, just mm. crazy, like Rico Ice Pick Toledo. <laughs> you know. Yeah. You don't ask a guy like Ice Pick too many questions. No. Do you um, do you create a character like uh, I don't know uh, R- Ray the Undertaker? Because I look like the guy that probably closes down oh, the yeah, cemetery the, at night. For our Halloween, oh yeah, for a Halloween, our Halloween murder mystery that I wrote. 25 years ago. It's called Far Ukrainian Casket Company. And they are about to be overtaken by Screw. That's Southern Caskets Recycling Endangered Woods. Nice. Four members of the family want to sell and four members don't want to sell. Well, you've got to break a tie somehow. One of them is going to have to die. And four members, or two of the members, uh, are vampires. And they're always trying to get the bite on their cousins. It's just, you know, it's a vampire. We've got Fang the Dwarf, who inevitably he ends up being some guy like six foot four, and he has to play Fang the Dwarf. And he says, how am I supposed to do this? And I said, make up something. And they make up stories about themselves, you know. I like that. Well, once they moved to Europe, they got better food, blah, 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 you know. And they think of, you know, make it up. Just make up your character. This is who you are. You can add to it. So do you bring, obviously. in front. You have your own your own cost. You have to bring your own costumes, obviously, right? Yes, but okay. we just tell them just go, either go to Goodwill or take things out of your closet and accessorize. We do not expect them to rent costumes, but I will tell you that a lot of them do. Yeah. And I write the murders in the 1920s, 30s, and 40s, so they're pretty easy to dress for. If you go earlier than that period of time, then you're looking at long dresses and a lot of difficulty getting around quickly. You know, because you can't walk very well. Bowler hats and things like that. Yeah, but yeah, uh, we we stick to an era where it's pretty easy to dress, and you know, a lot of the dresses that women wear every day or every evening are are knockoffs from the twenties and thirties and forties. It's pretty easy to dress. All right, Becky. So let me ask you this: Moving forward, I know you know it's pretty cut and dry what you uh, what you have going on there, which is, which is a great operation. And again, I need to get up there. I would love, 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 love to stay up yes, there during the week. Uh, <laughs> what is coming up? You know, it's 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 that time of year. I I tend to stay away from things that can be scary when it's 110 degrees outside, just because I'm trying not to die of dehydration. So right. we're getting into the fall. We're getting towards Halloween. Do you do anything special? Kind of building up to. I mean, let's be realistic. For some of us, it's first Christmas, which is Halloween. Anything that we can expect mm-hmm. there that's different than normal? No, we still just do our Halloween murder okay. mystery, the one I just described. it. We do that the whole month of October. Now, what we are adding is we are going to begin giving tours Ooh, okay. uh, of the house, and we've never done that before. And Well, I did years and years ago when I first opened up, I, I would give tours if people showed up and they wanted to see the house. I'd give a little tour and charge $5, but now... I'm doing it more professionally, the, mm-hmm. pretty much the way they do it at some of the Louisiana tour homes. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to uh, have it a little more formalized. So I am starting to do tours, but we don't try to make anything scary. Okay. Um, now, we we put out, you know, pumpkins and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff, but... I don't want people to think that death is always scary or that right. that's, you know, or that that's, it's a horror house. It's not. Right. Everybody, everybody, the children who lived there were, were loved. There were 12 Houghton children 
and from everything I've heard, and I met three of them that were still alive when I bought the house, the parents doted on them. They were loved, and, and everybody who's lived in the house has felt like they were loved. So I don't want to dote on any of that stuff that's ugly. I mean, we and used a, an embalming table. We did use an embalming table for a baking table, so I guess we're not taking it. We're not reading too much into it. No, no. uh, By the way, when I found out it was an embalming table, I did move it out of the kitchen, and I put it in the hallway, and now we use it as a bar. That's another form of pickling. uh, Yes, (laughs) indeed it is. Yeah, so, you know, we have a sense of humor. We just don't want to have a sense of gore right absolutely all the time because i don't think that's i think it's plenty of that absolutely you can, you can yeah you can do that on stories. yeah absolutely yeah. so in, in terms of booking i'm assuming kind of going back to it is that time of year how far out do you i mean how far out does somebody need to book if they want to be anywhere close to halloween with you guys I mean, you pretty much book solid Halloween already? Halloween is pretty, yeah, we're, we book up pretty far in advance. October is a big month for us. You can almost set By your, way, your watch Halloween to Halloween is also my birthday. Is it really? Yes, and it was, it, I mean, it was a wonderful birthday to have. It really was. When, when I was really little, my parents would dress us up and send us out to go trick-or-treating, and, and they would say, this is your birthday party. <laughs> Those cheap people. Yeah. <laughs> They sent me out trick-or-treating and told me it was all for me. Everybody was there for me. So I'm guessing that this is your party. That you're probably against, you know, there's a, a huge push right now, if you're paying attention, to move Halloween to trick-or-treating aspect. Well, Halloween, well, move Halloween to a Saturday or like a Friday night. And have yeah, it, they're trying to, they have been doing that. That's a commercial thing so that the stores and stuff can get in on it mm-hmm. and, well, I know there's a petition to get it to where they actually move the the holiday Halloween to where it doesn't yeah. affect. When I was a kid, we in the 80s, we went trick-or-treating on a Tuesday night. We didn't care, and we were out till midnight. Yeah, right, right. That's right. I think it's kind of silly. I I hate to see them do that, but I do know that there are some there is some talk about that. But, you know, that's like... Everything has to get sanitized. Yes. Everything has to be around the school year. And I don't think that everything should be around. It would be like, are they going to move Jesus' birthday? Are they going to move Passover and Hanukkah? I mean, no, they're not. They go by a prescribed, you know, calendar. Right. So I don't think it's a bad idea. We had Halloween on Monday, and I think most of us turned out just fine. So. Yeah. Yeah. We had holiday, uh, you know, we, it fell on what day it fell. It fell yeah, exactly. You know, well, and Becky, you, you just had a great time anyway. This is going to be. I'm going to. I'm going to ask an obvious question, but again, we're kind of trying to highlight maybe some people that, like myself that haven't been up that way. What is the uh-huh. best way to reach you or to reach the Stone Line Inn? I know, obviously, social media. There's a ton of avenues to do that, but what are the best ways to do that for you? Well, to make a reservation, you have to call us. And we will talk to you for as long as you want. We're really good at this. The reason we want you to call us is because if you're making a reservation for the murder mystery, we try to find out as much about you as we can. So to make your your time here worthwhile. We're yeah. real into giving big bang for the buck. It sounds and like it. We I mean... want this to be... Yeah, we're really thoughtful about that. And, and we, if there's some, you know, if you have, you know, there's something that you want to do, like a lot of people get engaged mm-hmm. uh, during the murder mystery. They want to 
propose. We've even done, uh, we've even done weddings during the murder mystery, and then we usually end up killing the bride. That's always that's perfect. Fun. Yeah, <laughs> I don't mean it that way. I'm sorry. I don't mean it that way. But you, you, but I, it, it is. It's, it'll be something they will remember their whole life. It's usually yeah. the husband that gets the so bat, the rap, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, that's true. But we we do things like that. You know, we just so you have to contact us. We don't do it online. Well, Becky, we what to, I what I appreciate. We have a lot of stuff online, but you have to call us. What I appreciate, and really, our main focus is what you've done for the city of Guthrie, what you've done for tourism in Oklahoma, you have made a huge impact. I mean, the numbers speak for themselves. If you see how many people are checking in from from the Stone Lion, seeing how many people have visited. I mean, it's just what you what it what started as a overnight stay on your way home became something that's cherished and loved by thousands upon thousands of people. And and I just really admire what uh, what what you're doing for the state, to be honest. That is so nice of you to say. It really, you know, it, it turned out well for all of us. It was a gamble. And, and, but it, it was, a, it was gamble. a gamble. Yeah. I Oh, at one time I thought it was going to go broke. Wow. When I first opened it up, people would arrive at my doorstep and they'd say, well, this is a house. Mm-hmm. I'd say, yes, you're spending a night in somebody's lovely old house. Won't you mm-hmm. come in? They'd say, I don't want to stay in your house. It's creepy. And you're kind of creepy. And they would leave. Wow. And, you know, so it was the doing the murder mystery at this point really got it off the ground. But, you know, it's it's been good for me. It's been good for my family. My kids went to school here. I want you to know that they both went to college here in Oklahoma, and then they went to law school, and they're both successful men. You know, they're in their 40s now, and they're cute at this age. Mm. Yeah, they, 40. they dress well, and they, you know what? They take me to dinner, and they pay. Hey, I feel, I kind of feel like you made it. <laughs> you've you've made it. I know <laughs> they're in their forties. Isn't that great? You raise them up, you get them. They're they've got jobs. Right, you're supposed to. You know, that's that's the best way to train a caregiver is to raise them right. I guess that's the best way. To do that. <laughs> they are really they're really nice people, and they grew up in this crazy business with yeah. people living all you know in their face all the time but they did it well i mean you you're really to me you're you're celebrity status this is a big deal uh people just (laughs) admire you uh admire what you do and and again i appreciate appreciate you taking the time i will you need to get up here tell me i will tell me what to do tell me what to do tell me how to do it and i'll do it tell me when you've got time off okay i'll do that just call me and say I got a weekend. Um, you, I'd like to come up, or I've got a day during the week, and okay. I'd like to come spend the night by myself or with a friend or whatever. Okay, That's perfect. Fine. I would love. Just I would love to do that. I, well, Becky, I really appreciate you being on the show. I thought you were going to eat me alive. I really <laughs> did think you were going to eat me alive because we talked last week, and I got off the phone going, "God, I've never been. I've never been to Guthrie. I've never been to this place." She's going to. I was nervous. I was dreading the interview because I just knew you were going to chew me up and spit me out. But you're literally one of the sweetest people I've ever spoken to. You're a, <laughs> you're a mom first, a caretaker second, or a caregiver second, a caretaker third. I love that about you. And thank you so much for being on the show. I hope you'll be back. Well, thank you so, so much for having me. I've Absolutely. really enjoyed my time. And I've really enjoyed you. Thank it's you so been much. great. Well, if you head to the Stone Lion Inn check, and you hit the guest book, could you put a little 
little something for the Only and OK Show. Let them know we told you all about it. Absolutely. And this has been the Only and OK Show. I am Harley. I'm Brett. And we're out of here. Peace. American heroes. Here's to you, Mr. Switchblade Comb Maker Man. Mr. Switchblade Comb Maker Man. <laughs> you may be retarded. You gave us a, a comb that could get us accidentally killed by the cops. Real men of genius. <laughs> Thank, dude, I pulled this out at work. No joke. I had it out like this, and people stopped for just a second until I went like that. Like, there's show they literally exhaled. It was so fronty, so fronty. So, do I have any literature chop on today's show? Nothing in Oklahoma but murders. Harley and the boys. There's only two of them. Harley and the, the child. <laughs> you know what? I'm surprised they haven't done a movie about. Um, that no, the girl, uh, the uh, Girl Scout murders. Yes. Why haven't they? I don't know. Why haven't we covered it? I don't want to cover it. I want an author to cover it. You know what we need to get on the sirens. Who the sirens from the uh, the sirens podcast? Local. I don't know. The new true. We need. That's who we need to have on. We don't need a, an author. We need a true crime podcast on here that can promote their yeah. promote their show. Do we have one? I can get one. Okay, let's do it. Three, two, one. Three, two, boogaloo. Remember, uh, three, two, one, contact. No. One second here, bud. Let me see. Nope. Sorry, you are out of the group. Itty custard. Rock. Rock. Gog, 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 gog. One second here. Do you want some Wait. spooky music? Yeah, how about this right here? You don't remember that? No, I remember it. I just don't care about it. Why? Why it's, would I? It's part of who we are, man. No. Uh, how about... Hang on a second. You know you grew up on OETA. We had freaking four channels. Okay? I'll cut you, man. I'll pull every beard hair out with this switchblade comb, buddy. What's wrong? You're supposed to be talking and enjoying it. Spending time with each other. Jesus. Went to LLC. Then have an LLC for the podcast. So some rules and regulations. So are we ready to go? <clears throat> oh. You've just been ignoring me the whole time. Yeah. Are we ready to go? I'll count us down. Here, I'm going to count us down. Yeah. 30 seconds and counting. Astronauts report it feels good. T minus 25 seconds. 20 seconds and counting. T-minus 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. 12, 11, 10, 9. Ignition sequence start. 6, 5, 4, 3, three 2, 1.